Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd. It is officially off-season mode here at Crack Rackets. What do we want to do over this next month? We want to help prepare all of you listeners. Get ready for what should be a really exciting 2021 season. And of course, you look at both the landscapes in men's and women's tennis. It's impossible at this point to deny that a changing of the guards is occurring. Of course, on the women's side, it's been far more pronounced. You've seen players like Sofia Kennan, Bianca Andreescu, Iga Sviantek, and so many other young uh, stars emerge in the game, have success not just at the Grand Slams, but week in, week out on the professional tour. And while that happened a little bit more quickly than their men's uh, contemporaries, certainly we have started to see that trend emerge on the men's side as well. Most notably, Dominic Team winning his first Grand Slam at the 2020 U.S. Open. But of course, week in, week out, it's guys like Andre Rublev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, Denis Shapovalov, Alex Diemenauer, you know, a, a huge laundry list of next-gen players finding success and beginning to ascend up the rankings. And as some of you listeners will know, uh, we here at Crack Rackets have a particular affinity for the next-gen crew, that, gr- uh, that group, that branding, starting with the 1996 men, the inaugural uh, next-gen ATP finals played amongst them and of course that group now has really ascended past the point of being considered next gen they're the now gen they're here when Daniil Medvedev Stefano Tsitsipas and Alex Zverev have won three year end finals in a row I think it's safe to say that group of players has arrived but of course one of the most fun storylines of this 2020 season was the fact that we got to see the next group of next gen talents emerge guys is like Yannick Sinner Brandon in Nakashima, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, and so many more beginning to make their mark on tour, beginning to say, hey, we know everyone's excited about this current group moving up the ranks, but don't forget the future for men's tennis looks pretty bright as well. And what we want to do this offseason is shift gears, is talk about the next, next-gen ATP crew. And, you know, that kind of hurts me because I feel like at 25, I feel like I'm still next-gen. I feel like I have some ways to go, but of course there are some even younger younger superstars waiting in uh the ranks waiting to emerge. Hopefully, we will see them do so in the 2021 season. And to help point out some of the brightest names, some of the biggest stars fans can expect to emerge during that 2021 season, we thought we would reboot our Next Gen ATP series. We're calling it Next Gen ATP 2.0. And to help me break down the next wave of men's stars on the horizon, I brought in an even Next Gen journalist talent in the tennis Twitter community. Now, of course, you may know him at All About Tennis on Twitter. I happen to know him as a fellow University of Michigan Wolverine, a fellow tennis enthusiast, and a member of our Cracked Rackets team, David Gertler, making his premiere on the Mini Break podcast. David, welcome to the show. It is great to have you. Happy Thanksgiving. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, but unfortunately, Michigan football has me a little down. <laughs> It was a rough Thanksgiving. It was, I mean, between that, I am from Michigan, the Lions firing another coach, oh, another yeah. GM. I've just decided I'm giving up all other sports but tennis. What's the point at this point? Yeah, and we have a lot of uh, young talent to, to, in the tennis world to take our focus away from Michigan for sure. 
Yeah, no, without question, and of course, the fact that we have Challenger Tennis down this home stretch as well. No, there are no headline ATP or WTA events, but still enough matches for us to get our fix. Of course, we will talk about those matches on other shows. What we're going to be doing every Wednesday here on this mini break moving forward is breaking down one of the next-gen players we see as having the potential to emerge to be a significant player in the results we see during the 2021 season and of course there are so many names we want to get to so we're excited that we're going to have two components to this next gen series David is going to come on every Wednesday he and I are going to talk about one player in particular we're going to break down a couple of the categories give you a broader intro into who this player is talk a little bit about their junior success talk about what they've done on the pro tour the skills we like and don't like about them of course to read an even deeper dive you can go to our website crack Rackets.com, as David has already sent in. He's probably the best timed, the uh, best on schedule writer we've had in Crack Rackets history. <laughs> I think we've got five articles in the queue ready to rock and roll. Uh, so, of course, all of you listeners can be uh, can look forward to all of this next-gen ATP content coming forward over these next few months. I will say quickly before we get into today's player, of course, the reason we are able to do these podcasts day in, day out here uh, at the mini break is because not only of the support we get from our fantastic listeners, not only because of the support we get from our amazing Patreon family, but of course because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And David knows this. I know this. I'm sure you listeners know this by now. It's a lifestyle here at Crack Dragons. You want to look good. You want to feel good so that when you go out on court, you play good. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. You go to MidwestSports.com. You'll find anything you need from an equipment standpoint. It's all the best deals, all the best brands all in one location midwestsports.com the promo code is cr15 of course to get the only tennis specific energy bars in the business be sure to check out our friends at aerobar go to aerobar.com use that promo code crack 15 you'll get 15 percent off either some delicious cinnamon honey oat or chocolate chip flavored bars and again they've solved the science of tennis through nougat uh, i'm not able to do that i david can you solve science through nougat i don't think so <laughs> Yeah, not quite there yet. We'll keep working on it, but for now, our friends at Aerobar have. So go to aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACK15, and again, look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Crack Rackets. All right, with that in mind, and David, I promise you'll get used to those live reads as we go. That's half the fun of these podcasts, but let's get into this. Westoff, give me some sort of next-gen 2.0 sound effect, please, and let's rock and roll. Kaboom. <laughs> Definitely leave that in, West. I'll find a way to work that into the sound effect. But, oh, perfect. It sounds like you're ready to rock and roll. Let's get into our first player then. And, you know, when we were going back and forth, there are so many guys you could start with. And, of course, we'll get to all of them. Uh, we'll get to all of them. They're all in the queue. I promise if you think there's a next gen or we should be talking about, feel free, by the way, to either tweet it that, that name at David or I am at Great Shot Pod. He's, again, at All About Tennis. Uh, all about tennis blog. Or uh, tennis blogger one. Uh, tennis blogger one, but it's at uh, the the name is all about tennis. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, I'll get it right eventually as we go. <laughs> Leave that in as well, West stuff. But the first player we wanted to talk about, and it's funny, when we were coming up with our list, it was probably end of October, early November. This was a guy who had a ton of success down the home stretch. He's someone who is now uh, is firmly inside the ATP top 75 and honestly, over the past six months, played like it. And of course, we are talking about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Uh, David, I want to turn the uh, mic over to you now. For our listeners who are unaware of, of Alejandro or maybe just saw him play for the first time at the end of this season, tell them a little bit about his background, his pedigree. Yeah, so he's from Spain. He's a number. He's actually uh, about to cross into the top fifty. He's at a career high right now, number fifty-two in the world. He is. You might think because he's a Spanish guy, and, and we and I've talked on Twitter a lot with people about how you know you think when they're Spanish players that they're going to be clay quarters, you know. But he actually is. I I actually like his game a lot on hard courts too. Um, backhand is his best stroke. Tremendous. Uh, my proud. I love his backhand down the line. He loves the. He loves the drop shot. Um, the drop shot is a shot that he is hitting probably a little too much, to be honest. Um, but he, he's only you know he's in today's day and age. You know you hear about all the tall players. He's only so he's only six feet, which is tall for me, but not tall for a tennis player. Um, but he really he has a very variable game. Like he has a lot of variety. Um, two-handed backhand um and it's he is fun to watch a lot of flair yeah I think those are all good descriptions and you know Davidovich Fokina I believe 21 years old at this point again his physical profile and you can read all this in depth in David's article which again you can find on the website crackrackets.com he's about six feet tall about 175 pounds and that's right he's built fairly stocky now I talk about this all the time I think one of the big characteristics we saw of the original next gen crew is just size and length I mean Hachinov, Medvedev, mm-hmm. Berrettini, Zverev, Bublik, Hercot, Opelka. They all seem to be 6'6 and taller. And, you know, you even a Borna Chorch at 6'2, he's no slouch. And, you know, I would say Davidovich Fokina is more that Shapovalov mold, that, mm-hmm. you know, six foot stocky but explosive, powerful athlete who is, I agree with you, very, very quick twitchy. It's just, there's something about it. The ball just explodes off of his racket and then to your point you're absolutely right he shows the finesse he shows the touch he is an active and willing slider across you know hard courts clay courts movement is not an issue for him and you start to look at you know his junior career his junior pedigree as we talk about those Mm -hmm. sorts of things uh as we break it down this is a guy who was the former world junior number two who won a junior Wimbledon in his uh junior career I believe that was back in 2017 I want to say that he won that junior Wimbledon. Uh, of course, that same season, he also made the junior Roland Garros semifinals. And that's no light task. That 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 means something. And of course, uh, whenever that sort of thing happens, you're going to take notice. And I just think you start to look at his junior career and you start to look at the way he progressed up the rankings. I don't think it's surprising to see him have this sort of success, right? I, I feel like he had this sort of pedigree uh, coming into his professional career. Yeah, I've had my eye on Davidovich for a while. He really, you know, when you play with that type of flair, you kind of, it draws fans, it draws attention. Um, 
And he doesn't have that typical, you know, big serve, big forehand game that we're accustomed to now. So it's actually, it's refreshing to watch him, um, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, look, this is, I guess, getting in more to his personality. I guess we can do this now. This is a little thing. Actually, I'm going to save that take. I'm going to save that take for a little bit later because I do have a comparison. When you start to talk about his personality, I think that is a big thing for him. Uh, as you start, I think it's a big trait. His j- just his uh, his mentality. I think that is a big skill set for him. I think that is a big benefit to him. That's the phrase I was looking for. But yeah, you sort of go through it as the best junior results. He wins that junior Wimbledon title. He uh, also is the Canadian Open Junior Championship. I want to say that's a Grade One, maybe Grade Two event. Uh, just had a bunch of success through the junior rankings. You look at his total career. I mentioned he was number two in the uh, world. He went twenty and one in the juniors in 2017 overall through his junior career 67 and 19 I mean that's that's stellar at uh, in ITF events that's how you reach number two in the world but of course we see so many players have success at the juniors you know a guy who comes to mind and he still had a really good career is a guy like Ricardus Barankas who Mm -hmm. size mattered less in the juniors and so his ground strokes the way he could just fire the ball off of his strings uh, that was a skill set that few other juniors could match until they were 21, 22, 23 years old. There was concerns for Davidovich Hokina, you know, maybe that might be an issue for him. Is he going to be too small? But, mm-hmm. you know, you sort of talk about it a little bit uh, as he began his pro career and just watching him play. I mean, you talk about his skill set. It's not an issue, right? Because he has that sort of elite athleticism mm-hmm. and strength that you just can't overpower. You know, you can't just overpower him. Yeah, and, you know, you might be surprised that he won Junior Wimbledon, but he really is such a very, he can play on the different services. He's not going to be overpowered by, you know, for instance, he just recently won in Cologne. Uh, I hope that's how you pronounce it, against Chilich, you know, and he was so great at diffusing Chilich's power. Um, same at the U.S. Open against Hercatch. Um, that's, that he's very good about taking those big serve, big, big uh, ground stroke players and defeat and diffusing them yeah and I mean again you look at some of the ranks he had in the juniors he's beaten guys uh who are finding success right now you know he he knocks off guys like Alexi Popper and he knocks off fellow top juniors like Axel Geller and you know Alex Rothstart and all the Rudolf Molliker all the top guys in his uh age range he was beating in the juniors. And so, you know, I know, Dave, and I should have asked you this at the top, and I'll ask you more at the end a little bit about your background, how you got into tennis. But I want to ask about the moment you became aware of him because there was a streak of pro events, uh, particularly, I believe it was last year, I want to say during the clay portion of the season when he had a nice couple of uh, events, I believe at 250s, maybe the 500. I don't remember exactly what it was. SRL, yeah. Yeah, we're about to get into it, but uh, when was the moment you became aware of him? When was the first match you watched him where you were like, ooh, this really pops off the screen? Yeah, in 2018, he was uh, he made his first challenger uh, final, um, and he was a set away from taking the title over uh, Guido Andriosi, who you don't hear as much around, you know, nowadays, but he, you know, he's a really good clay court challenger player. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy that is going to, he has a nice forehand. He's going to, lots of topspin, going to really make you work for it. And he, and so in late uh, 2018, in a clay court challenger in Poland, he 
was one set away from beating him and winning his first challenger. So that's when I first was like, huh, this guy has a lot of uh, potential to move up in the rankings. Um, and then, in, like we, you were saying, in 2019 in Estoril, when he took out Jeremy Shardy in the second round, it kind of made me think, okay, he's able to, he's going to be able to do this on the ATP tour, not just the challenger tour. Um, yeah, and he, I- and what he showed in that match against Shardy was the variety that we've been talking about. He, the placement on his shots was terrific, and it was a great sign. And I remember that was really when I was like, wow, this guy is a lot better than even I thought he was before. Yeah, and what you love for Davidovich Fokina is the steady progress he's made in his career, right? At the junior level, uh, he kind of had success right away, but it's okay, I'm winning the, the grade five events, now the grade threes, now the grade ones, now I win a junior slam, I'm done with juniors. And for him, you know, he started playing futures events all the way back in, I believe, 2014, 2015, and, you know, he, he dabbled in them, didn't really play mm-hmm. more than 10 events uh, until that 2017 season, but at the end of 2016, you saw him make a semi-final at a futures event. I believe he beat uh, uh, Zapata Morales, who we both know, obviously, that's Mm -hmm. uh, as tough of a clay court, or I believe that's a hard court match, but that's just a tough match for a 15, 16-year-old kid. He makes a quarterfinal, I believe, a little bit earlier in the month as well, and then he rolls into 2017. He makes his first final, and it comes in the midst of making the Junior Roland Garros semifinals, Mm -hmm. winning that Junior Wimbledon. You do those two things, and all also have success on the Futures Tour. It reminds me a lot of when Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka had their run in, I believe it was 2015, when, you know, Paul wins the uh, Junior French Open. Then I believe he and Taylor Fritz play in the final of a Futures right around then as well. Of course, Opelka wins Junior Wimbledon. Fritz wins the US, Junior U.S. Open, then goes on to have these huge runs at Challengers. It just, it felt very similar in that moment. And of course, we here at Crack Rackets, huge college tennis fans. Anytime I knew Axel Geller going to Stanford, you see Alejandro Davidovich Fokina beats him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when it caught my attention as well. But, you know, to continue with these pro results, I think the most encouraging thing, David, is just how steady he has been. I mean, you continue into that 2017 season after he wins that junior Wimbledon title, finals of the future in Spain in June. Then he makes another final the next he, week. He makes another final at the end of August. And from there... He didn't win any of those, which is interesting. Um, He lost his first three, and he lost six of his first seven finals. Um, So he really had to learn how to win in that final. You know, kind of like uh, Agur Elisame is learning on the ATP tour right now, is that he really, he struggled too in his first, uh, you know, six of seven finals, and he never let it get to him. Yeah, and that's a huge thing. And I mean, the you look at the scores, though, in some of those finals, you know, they're all three-set losses, or I think the majority of them are three-set mm-hmm. losses outside of the ones to Duckworth and then his first one to Viola. And you got to love that fight. You have to love that. And this is why to anyone who gives me the spiel on FAA of, oh, he's 0-6 in finals, is this a huge moment in his career? No, it's not. Like, you're— I, I will only take you as seriously as the degree of seriousness you have concern about him going 0-6 in finals or 0-7, whatever it is now, because it's better at age 20 to make that final. 
to take yep. those lumps, to, you know, show, like FAA at the beginning of this year made back-to-back finals for the first time in his career. And yeah, he lost both of those matches, but for back-to-back weeks, he was one of the two best players in the draw. And just to have to, to learn what it takes to be that good consistently week over week, that's what separates a top 50 player from a top 10 player. And I just... I don't care that he's losing those matches right now because he'll have plenty of chances to win ATP 250, ATP 500 titles. What matters to me is the consistency he's shown week in, week out. And I think we've seen that same consistency from Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, and it's so it's a reminder how young these players are and how tennis yeah. players nowadays, they, uh, you know, they're at their prime so much later. So, you know, Davidovich Fokina right now, is he's only... 21 years old so that he has so many years ahead of him and so yeah you might be saying oh well he hasn't won you know an ATP title yet well that doesn't really matter at this point the fact that he even won a doubles title in Chile in February of this year is amazing yeah and how about the fact that he makes what so you know he makes what I think it's four maybe five uh futures finals he then goes to the challenger levels makes five finals over the next two years as well uh starts out at the end of 2018 making a final I believe that was that was one in China I want to say that one that was the the, uh, in uh, the Poland one against Andrea oh Poland excuse me yes that was the one on clay he loses to Andrazi from there, he starts out 2019, makes a final. That's the Bangkok, mm-hmm. uh, Thailand final, uh, where he loses to Duckworth. He's a good the player, end- right? There's no shame in that. Completely agree with you. And again, in 2019, Davidovich Fokina is, what, 20 years old? Uh, maybe. I think he's a young 20-year-old at the time of that match. Uh, but he follows it up at the end of the season, loses to Sinego. We've seen what Sinego does in a three-set final in uh, Genova, and then goes from there to win a back-to-back, uh, or not back-to-back, excuse me, but to win a challenger the very next week. He knocks off Munar in a three-set final on the Moon- clay. That's hard. Beating Munar on clay is not easy. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, you know, he knocks off Istamin as well to end his year uh, with another challenger title on the hard courts. And just listen to these numbers and tell me this isn't progress. First season, 2017, only plays four challenger matches, goes two and two. Next year, plays 30 challenger matches, goes 15 and 15, which isn't great. But 15 and 15, you're solidifying your ranking. That means yeah. you are winning. Again, you're you're making second rounds. You're proving you belong at the challenger level. Most impressive thing that third season 2019 he goes 34 and 11 in 45 matches at the challenger level of course he makes four finals wins two titles uh to in his last wins his last two finals excuse me to get the two titles progress steady progress progress. not everyone is going to be the alex vera or the stefano Tsitsipas, where you jump out and have this huge atp 250 atp 500 success that just catapults you all up the rankings right away but this is the steady growth you want from a guy who's clearly he gets to a level he adjusts his level and then he thrives at the level and you know what i love i love how in in uh, genoa when he when he lost to Sinego, he lost that final set tiebreak 8-6. Against Istaman, he won the final set tiebreak 7-5. So he learned to play in those big moments at the end of a final, which is great. Yeah. 
No, I, I completely agree with you. And look, uh, for Davidovich Fokina now, we can get into some of his ATP statistics, what he has done uh, over the last couple of years here. Because again, you know, we continue to see him uh, improve uh, his level, obviously, down the home stretch of this season. Uh, so he goes 3-7 and seven in ATP matches last year. He goes 13-10 and 10 in his tour-level matches this season, of course. What that included uh, was a round of 16 performance at the U.S. Open. Of course, he made a second round at Roland Garros, round of 16 in Paris, semifinals in Cologne 1, quarterfinals in Cologne 2. Of course, that Cologne 2 match, he's up 6-2 at, what was it, 6-2-2-0, 6-2-3-0 on Diego Schwartzman, and he had that match in the bag. Yeah, he served for it for sure. I remember being, yeah. I remember because I'm, I'm a big Diego fan, so I remember being like, oh God, you know, Schwartzman's about to lose, but then he mentally, unfortunately, he kind of collapsed. Uh, so that was rough. But th- those are the type of learning experiences that down the line are going to help him big time. No, absolutely. I mean, just listen to some of the wins he got at the end of 2020. And by the way, this happened across multiple surfaces. But at the U.S. Open, he beats Dennis Novak, who played really, really well in 2020. He beats Hoop, and that was a five-set match, 6-0 in the fifth for Davidovich Fokina. He then knocks off Hercots in a four-set match right after that. Hoopy Hercots, a guy I thought was poised for a jump in 2020. That's a conversation for another time. Of course, then he beats an informed Cam Norrie, who had beaten Dan Evans in round one. Yeah, Cam Norrie's going to throw lefty junk at you. He's going to test you. Davidovich Fokina wins that match in uh, four sets. And then I thought, you know, the Zverev match wasn't pretty. Um, but for him to bounce back, then go to Rome after mm-hmm. making the round of 16, such a quick transition and to qualify right away. I know he lost his first round match, but that's the sort of growth you want from someone who's still ascending towards the ATP top 50, who doesn't have Rome masters draws guaranteed to them. But that he, also, he doesn't rest on his laurels. He goes right to qualifying and he gets in the draw. Yeah. And he beat Landero and Mute in, uh, mm-hmm. in qualifying. So those are, it's, those are names that you could easily see in, uh, you know, Landero won his t- won an ATP 250 on clay last year, and Mute, you know, is always dangerous. Um, so those aren't. It's not like he played a bunch of scrubs in qualifying, you know. Yeah, and then when you talk about a Spanish tennis player, you don't, you know, indoor hardcourt results don't scream out to you of the latest generation, and yet, you know, over his streak in Cologne, he plays seven matches, he goes five and two, and he gets wins over guys like Rusevori, mm-hmm. like Dennis Novak again, and, you know, he played, uh, again, he should have won the match against Diego Schwartzman, you're absolutely right, he served for it and just blinked, uh, and then against Zverev, he loses that match five and six, of course, Zverev won both of those Cologne matches, he beats Hatchinov uh, to make the round of 16 in Paris. Then, you know, Schwartzman kind of worked him, but just... Matchup problem there. Yeah, it, it, well, it's part two. It's like, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, I'm beating you one and one. Um, but it's just... I, Okay, so now we can get into, you know, those are the pro results. I think they speak for himself. As you mentioned, he's up to career high number 52. He clearly proved that he belonged at the ATP level. He's probably done with challengers moving into 2021. But I think the thing that I like most about Alejandro Davidovich's game, it has nothing to do with the actual tennis he plays. It has to do with his mentality. There's a, and I, I'm going to jump into a cross-court comparison. There's a, there's a Chris Paul sort of Patrick Beverly 
you to him, if you know what I mean, where it's just kind of like, look, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get pumped. I'm going to have energy. I'm going to be in your as you know as your opponent i'm just going to be in your space i'm going to be mm-hmm. in your head i'm going to make this match a mental match i'm going to make this a battle as much as much of it is a battle of physicality it's also going to be a battle of wills and it just jumps off the screen yeah and he defends well too and counterpunch yeah. as well which is beverly's uh forte uh <laughs> as a for, as a Pelicans fan, I am not super fond of Chris Paul, but I'm <laughs> growing to uh, accept him more. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that he is, but he also, that can sometimes be a negative in the fact that he You're sometimes has right. angry outbursts. Um, but well, I was going to say, I think that applies, though, to both Chris Paul and Patrick Beverly. And the reason I wanted to say Chris Paul and not just Patrick Beverly is because I don't, I think. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina can be a better player relative to the ATP Tour than Patrick Beverly is to the NBA. Now, I don't know if he's going to be Chris Paul good. Sorry, we're going NBA here. That's not what all of you listeners want to know, although I'm happy to tell you why Chris Paul is the best modern point guard of all time. We'll save that for another show. Um, But there's just, yeah, it can be a little self-defeating. You're right. Absolutely. Chris Paul gets in his own head. I think that's the book on him as well. That's why there's some notable playoff chokes uh, in his his Mm -hmm. past. But... At the same time, you just know he's got all of the baseline skills and he's got this attitude where he's bringing it 110% every game. And he may not be the six foot six guy who's going to just hit these huge aces and just, you know, pop you off the court. But in every point, point in, point out, he's tracking down that extra ball. And I thought, you know, there were some times the reason he kind of went away in set number three against Schwartzman, yeah, he served for the match and lost, but just physically, he was spent after those first two Mm -hmm. sets. And there is something too, there's a recklessness about him that needs to be cleaned up. You're right, sometimes his attitude does turn to recklessness. At the same time, give me the reckless player who sprints through first base every time, and I'll just tell him, yo, yo, you can just hit a plus one ball on this one, and you can chill this point yeah yeah and something else that as you were talking i was thinking of with chris paul chris paul is known for his craftiness and i think that applies yeah. to davidovich so well too is he's really crafty you never know what shot Absolutely. he's gonna hit when and you know whether not, not just with the drop shots he, the angles the slices the placement it's all fantastic um and he has so much potential yeah, so let's uh, a couple of questions down the home stretch here. Favorite thing about this player's game for me, I, outside of the mentality in terms of what he actually does, and and you sort of write about this a little bit as well. Uh, I would say it's just his huevos to go down the line and the mm-hmm. explosiveness he shows off of both wings. It's not just the forehand wing which he absolutely can turn into, but he is comfortable taking a ball early that backhand flat down the line. It's why yep. I think grass is a good surface for him and by the way that's I call that the Novak Djokovic effect all of these young players seem to have this ability to take you know the two-handers have this ability to go backhand down the line flat and that was just Novak Djokovic's calling card the influence in the modern game is it's striking um but I would say and I know you talk about it and I I I completely agree with you I I think those to me are the big things yeah, so for me, it's, you know, I think the cop bat's probably the drop shot, but for me, it's the yeah. backhand down the line. It, it it explodes off the racket. It is perfectly placed. It is, it's amazing how he can just turn a point like that um, with that shot. And so 
while maybe his favorite shot is the drop shot, for me it's the backhand down the line. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't put Davidovich Fokina quite in the Alex Demonauer tier of movers, mm-hmm. but it's not. But he's not quite. You know, it's not much worse than that. I would say he's in that Chorich tier. Like, and I can't, I can't compare him to Zverev and Medvedev because the way they use their length, it's just different than anything else. Um, but like, I would say it's tier two. I mean, I think I don't know pound for pound who's a more explosive athlete in your mind, FAA or Davidovich Fokina? Ooh, I would say. Oh, that's top. I would. I would say, say pound for pound for pound, they're pretty similar. So, so that's. Uh, I don't disagree with you. I would say pound for pound, they're very similar. Fa is just bigger, so he's yes. got more pounds uh, available to him. If that mm-hmm. makes sense, like I think they're both exceptionally explosive. I think. You know, the the way the ball—and I think he's in the Shapovalov category. Is that—that's probably the one. I think there there's that second tier of just stocky, explosive athletes, the Shapovalov mold, where movement's never going to be an issue for Dennis. Yeah. And I don't think movement will ever be an issue for uh, Davidovich Fokina either. No, I completely agree. It, it's not going to be an issue. You know, he's—you're you're right. He's not like Deminar, but he's really going to— He's not going to be a player that you're just going to be. It's not like John Isner, you know, who you're going to just be able to move around and eventually hit past. You're going to have to come up with something more, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, no, I completely agree. And the thing is, if you give him the opportunity, he's going to hit that back end up the line and, and make you you know, make you realize that you should have done more with the point. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you there. The you mentioned the drop shot. I do like his craftiness. I just I refuse to ever say my favorite thing about a player's game is their drop shot because I feel like if that's your favorite thing about their game, they can't be that good. It's like, oh, what what's my favorite thing? Oh, they hit this exceptional drop shot. It's like, well, how's their forehand? Eh, it's a it's fine. Well, that's um, like, so that's why it's why I talk about in the, my least favorite part. I think he overuses the drop shot. So. Perfect segue. Get into the things that you think he needs most improvement on. Um, yeah, so I think that so Davidovich, when you watch him, he really just loves that drop shot. And for me, it's kind of like, well, you're t- telegraphing it and you're making it so obvious that it kind of loses its value. So for me, I feel like he needs to hone back on that and and maybe focus less on the drop shot. You know his serve. His serve is okay. Um, I don't think with his size he's ever going to have a huge serve. Um, so I can't really knock him for that. It's like, what are we going to start knocking Schwartzman for not having a big serve? It's just based on how he, you know, his build um, and just how he is. So really, for me, the 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 there is a touch of a lack of power, but it's just hard to knock him for it because that's just who he is. It's. Exactly. It's not a lack of power, in my opinion. It's it's almost. A, I don't want to say a lack of focus. Either yeah, no, it's I not power. This whole thing on this well, so I watched this video once, and this is a deep cut, and I apologize for all of our listeners for regaling you with this sort of story. But I, it was this profile on the freshman class at the University of Virginia uh, in 2014. The Kwiatkowski, Aragoni, my, mm-hmm. my class. Those are my guys. Corintelli, as 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 many of you know, that's my team, um, and. It was Andreas Pedrosa, who at the time was the assistant coach, talking about Ty Kwiatkowski, who, as many of you listeners may know, David, I know you know this, in terms of raw firepower, that guy is up there pound for pound Mm -hmm. with anyone in the, I mean, just natural shoulder talent, ability to strike the ball and 
drive it no matter what the ground stroke is forehand backhand overhead serve 140 miles per hour he can do it as well as anyone and what coach Pedroso kept continuing to say is it's about harnessing that power because getting him to do that 90% of the time at 90% of the speed it's about because if you watch Ty Kwiatkowski you know he's going to throw in 30% forehand slices yeah yeah, 60% backhand slices and so it was about getting Ty as much as that variety is important to him it's about cutting that down and you know, recognizing that he has all these physical skills. And I know this is a conversation. I don't know why I didn't just say this about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, but I guess if, you know, what Pedroso pointed out for Ty Kwiatkowski, I think that applies perfectly here for Davidovich Fokina. It's just about brushing up the edges. This is why I'm so excited about his upside because he can do a little bit of everything. His floor as a tennis player, and I think it's why he has gotten to the top 50 so quickly, uh, he can just do a lot of things on the court. He can do a lot of them well, but because of that, there's no firm game plan point to point. He's playing at the whims and the wills of his opponent, and it's fine because he has the physical skills to get away with that a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. but you just can't can't be a top 10 player and do that yeah and that's why i don't think i don't think he'll ever be a top 10 player to be honest um i think his ceiling's probably top 20 maybe what do, what do you think so this gets into pro comparisons which is one of the final things i want to ask you about and i know uh in yours you wrote diego schwartzman and i think that's a very interesting one <sighs> I don't want to say David Goffin because that's a very oh, that's high a, bar to set. David Goffin was exceptional. That's it. I didn't even think about it. That's a good one. Thank you. That's – hey, that's that's <laughs> why they pay me the big bucks. Um, no, it's – uh. Right, because it, he can do a little bit of everything. He can go down the line. It's very pretty to watch him play. He's not going to physically overwhelm. You know, he doesn't jump off the screen as that guy's a physical freak, but he can. it's never at a physical deficit to his opponent. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I think Davidovich Fokin... Oh, well, David Goffin has some pop, too. I don't want to be yeah. disrespectful. And I think David Goffin's game is a little bit cleaner. I always say David Goffin, if you put him in a country club, he would thrive. Like, they'd be like, that's country <laughs> club tennis right there. Um, and Davidovich Fokin, it's a little bit more rugged than that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Not as smooth, but, you mean? like? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it just doesn't look as pretty. Everything David Goffin does is so pretty. You're just like, that might be the most handsome-looking forehand I've ever seen. Um, but I don't know. I, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I love that Goffin, Goffin uh, comparison. You know, and, and the thing about someone like Schwartzman is he did reach, you know, he is, you know, he he's a, he was in the ATP finals. You know, he reached top yeah. 10 in the world. So you can, you know, so he, so that's why I'm so hesitant to say that Davidovich can't do it. But I just, Goffin, Goffin's a great comparison. I just, I don't know. It's, you, you see in that fourth round against Varev at the U.S. Open how, you know, he, Davidovich got smoked. So it's matches like that that make me wonder. You know, what is his ceiling? Um, yeah. No. I. No. I look. 
David Goffin has made, uh, you know, quarterfinals of multiple majors. He has obviously been a guy who's reached as high as number seven in the world. And I think for Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, uh, his pathway, I just feel like he's going to be a guy, especially until he's 26, 27 years old, who's going to be in the Dominic team model, who's going to go straight from Australia each and every year. Oh, maybe he'll play the hard courts indoors because why not? Obviously, he's pretty good at them. But if he's not playing those, he'll go right to South America to play the clay court swing. It's just like he is going to be playing tournaments week in, week out. Mm-hmm. There will not be time off. That's the sort of personality he is. That's the sort of player he is, and that's why I think all of us are so excited about his game. But, yeah, you're right. Do I see him in the Tsitsipas mold? Do I see him reaching the highs of he who must not be named or Daniil Medvedev? No, probably not. But I do think he can be a staple in the top 20 for quite a bit of time. And I do think, much like you, that he could dip his nose into the top 10 for a couple of weeks, spend some time at number 8, number 9, maybe. See, the thing is, he's really good on all three surfaces. And that's what I like about him a lot Mm -hmm. as well. That consistency across surface makes me think he has the capacity to just be a top 10 player based on consistency. And that's just what I, again, want to emphasize to folks is that just because he has a Spanish flag next to his name does not mean that he is only good on clay. Um, yeah, yeah, completely agree with you. It's not just clay. It's absolutely not. It has, it, it, he's just such a well-rounded player. Um, and I do think we're going to see good things from him in 2021. Now, again, in terms of upside, we, we sort of talked about it there in the immediate future and then long-term future. Uh, we can end on this. What do you expect to see from Alejandro Davidovich Fokina? Well, I'm excited to see him on grass next year. It's such a shame that we didn't get the Wimbledon uh, or any of the grass lead-ups because I, I, I would have really loved to see how we've been talking about you know, how he won junior Wimbledon. How it, So I want to see you know how he does now with his, like, you know, now that we see him doing so well in hard courts and really taking that step to the ATP level, how does he do in a big in a big time grass match against a big server? Is he able to handle that? And I really I, I believe in him. No, I, I think if indication from at the futures level, then the challengers level, even at the juniors level, steady progress is a is a benchmark uh, and is a staple of Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. So I completely agree with you. Now, in terms of his next gen cohorts, and I'm gonna this is a big reveal of some of the names, and I, I guess I, I should have asked you to rank all of these names beforehand. That's on me. Going coming into next time, again, this is pod number one. It's gonna be an even better pod number two. But uh, let's throw Yannick Sinner in this group as well. So Sinner, Nakashima, oh, you know, the Rodianovs, the Kordas of the world, all of these people J.J. Wolfs will be talking about down the road. Where do you have Davidovich Fokina amongst his peer group? Out of the ones you just named, for me, Sinner's so far ahead of the rest of the pack. Um, but I think that Davidovich is too out of the ones you just named, for sure. And I feel very good about that. So this is where... Okay, as of ranking right now, all of the players under the age of 22. Denis Shapovalov's number one at 12 in the world. FAA, two at 21. Demon Hour. It's crazy to think Demon Hour still isn't 22 years old. He's 23 in the world. Kasparud is it's, number four, 27 in the world. Yannick Sinner, number five, So crazy these people are younger than, I, than me. I know. Than you, you know? Yeah. Oh, I don't even want to start. <laughs> yeah. You, you want to, last night, I slipped on a racket when I was going to – it was like four well, – first of all, two signs that you're getting old is when you have to wake up in the morning and pee. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I got to go take a – 
part of that, sorry for the graphic language uh, for all of our listeners out there. Anyways, uh, part of that is just because I like to chug water uh, before I go to bed because, again, I'm an old man at this point. Um, but I get up to walk to the bathroom, and I left a stray racket uh, in on the floor in my room because I just came back from home. And I tripped on the racket last Aww. night. And I fell, and there was a big thud, and I have a huge freaking bruise right on my and it's horrifying oh, and I'm like sitting here in pain as we're doing this and anyways I was just like oh my god I'm an old man I was like this is this is the sign you're no longer next gen this is why you need to bring in David uh, because you, you're losing your grip Alex but yeah it was it was a low point for me anyways you look amongst this peer group uh, yeah it's crazy to think guys like Kesmenovich, Demon Hour Rude, F.A. Shepovalov who just feel like they've been in our lives now a little bit longer maybe they just feel like they've been in my life a little <laughs> bit longer uh, they're the same age if not a little bit younger than Alejandro Davidovich Fokina and yet of that next tier I think that's about right like I have him I don't have him in the same tier yet as a Shepovalov as oh, an no, F.A.A. as a Demon Hour or a Sinner but he's right beneath that like He's in the Kachanov tier. I would put him in the Hatchinov tier now, where it's just kind of like, I know you're going to be good. Like, you're going to be good for a really long time. How good? Still up in the air. Top 20 for sure, but can you get higher than that? We'll see. Yeah, it, and he's shown through his results that he deserves to be in that Kachanov tier. You know, when I was watching yeah. the third set of his match against Kachanov in Paris, it was amazing how, you know, Kachanov didn't know what to do to to get the ball past him and to hit their own yeah and it's you know i i can't compare him to musetti and alcaraz and nakashima because they are really just significantly younger uh this is probably the oldest guy well i guess jj wolf is in this age range as well and we'll talk about him but but i i I think those guys just because they're a little bit younger they have a little bit more untapped potential but i i think alejandro davidovich fokina is more of a sure thing if that makes yeah, sense but, but i will say that like someone like Kachanov, he won paris you know what i mean like and uh davidovich still hasn't won uh atp tour singles title so while we so while maybe his current form is aligned with Kachanov in terms of accomplishments davidovich definitely has a ways to go yeah, but of course he will have plenty of time yep. uh, to uh, you know reach those goals, and he is someone we absolutely, again, look forward to seeing compete during this 2021 season. And if you listeners want to read more about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, go check out David's article, which will have some input from me because, again, I was like, oh, perfect, an excuse for me to hop <laughs> on the article bandwagon. Uh, it was too tempting to pass up. Uh, but, of course, uh, shout out to you, David. Those are really, really well written, and I look forward to sharing them with our listeners and of course we just look forward to having you as part of our Cracked Rackets team since this is your first podcast appearance should have done this at the top but for our listeners out there tell them a little bit more about you your interests in tennis and what they can expect to read from you moving forward yeah so I am I am a a long time tennis fan I enjoy it I am uh not that I'm not very good. I'm probably like a four out for on the U.S. scale, um, but I, I enjoy it, um, and I love watching challengers the most. That's especially clay court South American challengers, which is why this week with Campinas is so great. Um, and last week, and nice to see a shout out to Mella Jenny for uh, winning his first challenger uh, on Sunday. Um, and then we there's it's I'm I'm excited so that's the type of stuff that gets me so excited. It's not necessarily 
seeing the big three. Serena, I'm a better and Serena fan, but at the same time, it's not necessarily watching them that's so great. It's seeing the journey to get there, um, which is cool. Yeah. I just, I love that you give a shout out to a challenger winner in your introduction to yourself. You're like, hey, shout out to you, Miljani. Like, you, you, you did the job. You did the job. Um, so, uh, no, I love that. And, again, uh, we are so excited to have you as part of our Cracked Rackets team. David, obviously, our listeners can expect to hear from you on this podcast. But we'll get you on other things moving forward as well. Not just going to keep you – not going to, you know, brand you as a next-gener only. Obviously, I know you have plenty of other interests in the sport, and we look forward to talking about all of them. But, again, uh, David, thank you so much for taking the time. I need you to remember the phrase, that's the break, Okay. Hold that phrase in your head for about two seconds. So uh, with that in mind, obviously, again, we will be doing more of these next-gen podcasts each and every Wednesday. Be on the lookout for them uh, on this podcast feed. Of course, you can read the article on our website, crackrackets.com. While there, of course, you can find everything else we are doing to cover the professional tennis world, uh, You know, whether it's our College Contender Series we've got going on as well to get you all ready for the 2021 ITA season. That and so much more. You can find it all on the website. CrackRackets.com. Of course, you need the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. And again, David, one more time for our listeners, where can they find all of your uh, stuff? Where can they follow all of your work? Yeah, so I am on t- Twitter. I am a tennis blogger one. I am also a writer for Last Word on Tennis. I have my own blog, All About Tennis blog, and now this. Yeah, of course, and we look forward to having you. Well, with that in mind, then for my wonderful co-host, David Gertler, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. David, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. There it is, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, David. Bye.